You're listening to an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be interviewing best-selling author and leader in the fields of relationship and body-mind transformation, Gay Hendricks. The two of them will be discussing his latest book, The Joy of Genius, which is actually a sequel to the bestseller, The Big Leap. So tune in and learn how to eliminate negative thinking and bring forth true creativity within you. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. All the good stuff. Um, So this is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives, which are found at 1150kknw.com. And don't forget that we have a page on Facebook for the show so that you can see who's going to be on the show on any given week. And that's Sunny in Seattle Radio on Facebook. Um, And, of course, my website for coaching and my business and all that good stuff is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. Um, So I have a couple of housekeeping um, things that I want to make you guys aware of before we dive in with our amazing guest today, who I have been so looking forward to speaking with. Um, So a couple things. Number one, um, since I actually announced it too early last time I was in the studio, (laughs) sorry, we are officially in KKNW annual survey. So it is live. So if you go to 1150kknw.com and fill out that 2018 KKNW listener survey, you will be entered to win uh, a round-trip passage on the Victoria Clipper to Victoria, B.C., plus a $100 gift certificate to Schwartz Brothers Restaurants. So, and not only, you know, the incentive is there, of course, that you'll be entered to win this awesome prize, but it's actually really helpful for us as hosts to be able to um, hear what you guys as listeners want from us, um, what shows you like, what shows you don't like, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. So um, it's really, it's awesome. Um, it helps Benny, it helps me, it helps the studio. And um, yeah, we just encourage you guys to fill out that survey and be entered to win. So that's uh, just log on at 1150kknw.com. The second thing I want to mention is, um, so you guys may have heard several times on the show, I've interviewed uh, spiritual teacher and channel Sarah Landon. Um, she's one of those sources that I go to. Um, she's on my what I call my emotional speed dial list or vibrational speed dial list. Um, just by virtue of listening to her work, it really encourages me. So Sarah and I are partnering up. We were inspired by, if you all ever watched, um, when Wayne Dyer interviewed Esther Hicks and Abraham, Um, for a presentation called Co-Creating at Its Best. This was several years ago, um, of course, before Wayne passed. And um, we were really inspired by that. So I am going to be traveling to San Francisco Bay Area um, on November 3rd. That's a Saturday from 12 to 4 to interview Sarah Landon and the council um, in a very similar format to Co-Creating at Its Best. Um, So if you want to register for this event, and here are two awesome options. Of course, you can come down to the Bay Area, that, and we have some listeners that are in that area. We will also be live streaming the event 
Um, so if you want to be there in person, it's at Unity of Walnut Creek, the Spiritual Center in Walnut Creek. Um, or you can live stream it uh, for a discounted price. And that you can register and find out more just by going to sarahlandon.com. That's S-A-R-A-L-A-N-D-O-N, sarahlandon.com, under uh, the Attend uh, tab where she's got the event schedule there. So would love to have you guys check that out. Um, Sarah's work has been really important to me. Um, so and then now to someone else whose work has been um, just ridiculously transformative in both my personal and professional life. Um, so for years, I had mentors telling me, you must read The Big Leap. And so I have this list of books that I'm always keeping. Um, and this one just got mentioned way too many times for me to to keep it on the list and not read the book. <laughs> so uh, Gay Hendricks, who you all may know, um, and probably have this book on your shelf, The Big Leap, um, was just, like I said, just... Um, top five books of all time in my in my um, in my portfolio that I keep the books that have influenced my life and my work so for those who don't know gay he has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body mind transformation for more than 45 years after earning his PhD from Stanford in 1974 gay served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years um, he's written more than 40 books, including bestsellers, though many of which you all might have on your shelf at home, Five Wishes, The Big Leap, of course, Conscious Loving, and Conscious Loving Ever After. And those last two, of course, were co-authored with his co-author and mate for more than 35 years, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. Um, he is also a mystery novelist with a series of five books featuring the Tibetan Buddhist private detective Tenzing Norbu, as well as a new mystery series featuring a Victorian-era London detective, Sir Errol Hyde. And, of course, the book we're here to discuss today, his latest book, The Joy of Genius, shows how to eliminate negative thinking and bring forth true creativity. Uh, Gay has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including some you might uh, you might recognize, like Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and others. And the website to go to to find out more about Gay, about the book, is Hendrix.com. That's Hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S. Gay, welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you so much, Sunny. It's great to be back with you again. Yes, well... So I, of course, have mentioned The Big Leap as being um, incredibly transformative, and I'm sure many of our listeners own the book, have read the book. But for those who didn't read it, because The Joy of Genius, the book, your latest book that we're here to discuss today, is the sequel, what do listeners need to know about The Big Leap so we can jump off from there to discuss Joy of Genius? Yes. Well, The Big Leap is about two big problems that human beings have, and it's really two big ideas that people really need to know in order to make the most of their potential. The first big idea that's in The Big Leap is something that I noticed in myself, first of all, and then when I started applying it to my clients and, and looking at a lot of my clients, I began to realize that it's more of a universal problem. And now after 30-some trips around the world, I can definitely tell you it's a universal problem that human beings have. I call it the upper limit problem. And the upper limit problem is the tendency to sabotage ourselves when things start going better. And so, for example, if you begin to make more money or you begin to experience more love in your life, anytime you're upping the flow of energy through yourself, it's very likely to trip the upper limit problem. And 
if you know several things about how the upper limit problem works, you can not only eliminate the upper limit problem, but you can prevent it from keeping recurring when you hit other big things in your life. So the upper limit problem is the, the first big thing that um, I want to uh, help people understand in the big leap. The second thing, back then I called it the zone of genius. Now I call it the genius spiral because zone is kind of a limiting thing. You know, it's like a place, but uh, the, uh, the, the genius spiral is really where I think everybody wants to live. And what I mean by that is that so many of us spend our time doing things that, you know, maybe we're good at, but somebody else could do them just as well, or something we're really excellent at, but we're tired of doing because it doesn't call forth our full capabilities. So I talk a lot in The Big Leap about how to make that jump into your genius. And now with The Joy of Genius, what I'm showing is how to keep that process going and stabilize yourself so that you're living in the genius spiral all the time. And so uh, those are the, uh, the things that people need to know about The Big Leap. Yes, and I, I will say for that, that the upper limit problem was so um, tangible when I read that. And, and for can you just give real quickly before we move on to the, to the joy of genius, like some examples of how people might know they're upper limiting so that they know they want to be in their zone of G or their spiral of genius spiral all the time? Yes, um, I'll give you a recent example. And then one I was just actually seeing a news story on this morning. Um, I had a client who is a very powerful, successful woman executive in a, a high tech firm. And yet every time she would get a promotion or she would have something positive happen at work, she would almost always have a bunch of big upsets then in her marriage or close relationships, things that was going on at home. And when we worked on that together, she realized that she had this upper limit in herself where she didn't fundamentally believe she deserved all the good things that were happening. And so when something good would happen, she would mess up in some other area of her life. Mm -hmm. So that's a common thing. Something will go better at home and will mess up at work, or something will go better at work and will mess up at home. Or uh, another good example would be um, an athlete who's operating at a very high level but then breaks through to a new level and immediately injures themselves. Mm. So it's it's all, always something that our un, unconscious mind causes us to do. And one of the things, I just saw a news story this morning about uh, there's a big lottery going on right now, and they were talking about some of the things that happened to lottery winners in the past. And it's kind of a stunning thing that uh, a very large percentage of people who win big money in the lottery are they end up broke within a few years or worse off than they were before. Yeah. And in one dramatic example, this one fellow that won a huge amount uh, of money at the lottery, uh, all of these things, the money caused all sorts of problems like one uh, family member who ended up um, getting addicted to drugs. And then the, the guy himself, the actual lottery winner, got robbed of more than $500,000 that was in his pockets at a strip club. And so, <laughs> you know, that um, 
So just having this big influx of energy into their lives tripped old switches in them that caused them to sabotage themselves. And the big leap shows you what's underneath the upper limit problem so that you don't have to go through that anymore. Yes. And so the idea is we want to be in that genius spiral and the joy of genius is all about helping us stay in that place. But I'm curious, you know, I have a lot of people that come through my office and they're, they really want to, they want to find that genius place. They want to know what their genius is. And how do you advise folks? How do we know what that, what our personal genius is? Yes. Well, we've evolved a lot of ways of helping people do that in our seminars and in my office here. But let me give you one example that we can do right now on the radio. Awesome. Uh, One thing that you can always do that's a signpost to your genius is ask yourself a simple question. What do I most love to do? And if you think about it, what you most love to do is often something that you even loved to do when you were little. Like for me, for example, um, one of the family stories about me is that when I was four or five years old, I got a tricycle for my birthday and it was raining that day. And so my grandmother allowed me to ride around. She had a very large living room. And so I could ride my um, tricycle around in the living room, which was a you know, something that she wouldn't normally let me do. But what I did right away was I set up a box, uh, a cardboard box in one corner of the room, and I had my granddad help me write a a title on the door that said problems. And the idea was, was I would commute on my tricycle to my box and I would sit in my (laughs) box and people were supposed to come and tell me their problems. (laughs) Now, some part of me knew that when I was four or five years old that I would eventually become a psychologist, I guess. But I didn't know that at the time. And so uh, but everybody in the family thought it was hilarious that a little uh, guy in short pants would think he was the one that people were supposed to to solve all their problems. (laughs) Well, you showed them. (laughs) Yeah. So why do you think then that it's important that we identify our genius and actually live in it? Well, the simple reason is because you're never going to be satisfied fully until you do. I think, yeah, I think human beings have an innate deep desire to bring forth their highest potential. And I remember one time talking to Jean Houston uh, many years ago, and uh, she'd just come back from a trip around the world doing lectures and everything. And And she was saying something that I totally agreed with. And I I, even now, based on travels that I've done, that no matter where you are in the world, it's the lack of being able to fulfill their potential that makes people the most unhappy. Mm -hmm. It's it's not about the poverty always necessarily, or it's not about the poor standard of living or something like that. It's about that potential as being wasted and squelched. And I firmly believe that we have all of the potential we need, all of the genius creativity we need to transform every problem on earth if we all get in the business of opening up to that genius on a regular basis. And here, when people come here to work with us, we start small. We ask people just to go in a room quietly by themselves for 10 minutes and spend that time wondering about what their genius really is. We actually will give them some sentences to work with. I I put some of these in the joy of genius that you can actually use them verbatim. Like just say to yourself, hmm, what is my genius? Or hmm, what do I love to do? Or hmm, 
what about my work brings me the greatest satisfaction per the amount of time I spend doing it? And here's the thing, Sonny, that we found, I used to do a lot of um, on-site consulting in high-tech firms. In fact, I've been to Seattle many of times mm -hmm. to um, Amazon and other places there and down to Austin to consult at Dell Computer. And I would be working with their high-level executives and even the highest level executives can often find things that they're upper limiting themselves about. Mm. You know, and these are people that are operating at really high, big levels. Um, I was once um, consulted by a person who was on his way to get his star in the Hollywood Hall of Fame. But before he got, it was happening the next day. But on this particular day that I got kind of an emergency call from him, he was having a major anxiety attack and had decided he wasn't going to go down and do it. Okay. And, you know, when you look inside and things like that, what you find is that oftentimes there's some little kernel of doubt, even in a high functioning person that that thinks I don't deserve this, that thinks I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to have these kind of accolades. And so those fears that there's something fundamentally off inside us or there's something fundamentally wrong, those fears come up and kind of grab hold of us and cause us to sabotage ourselves. Yep. Yes, and so for you, identifying your genius and now living in it, it sounds like it was smooth sailing, but what advice do you have for folks out there who, I assume the ones who are coming to work with you to figure out what their genius is. I mean, is it smooth sailing? And what do you tell people about sticking with it till you find it? Well, it, yeah, it's it's never going to be smooth sailing on planet Earth because on <laughs> planet Earth, the winds shift about every 10 seconds. And <laughs> one of the things we say around here is if you don't consciously blow up your life about every 10 years, somebody will do it for you. <laughs> That's and, awesome. <laughs> Because if you think about it, life is about change. And one of the things that defines a successful human being is the ability to adapt to change. And, you know, it's like dancing on running water. It's uh, huh. it's a challenge no matter who you are and where you live on this planet. But it doesn't have to be rough because if you learn some basic rules of, of surfing and sailing on your genius, then you don't have to fall into the water quite so much. Uh -huh. And so here's one of the big lessons that uh, we help people learn. Uh, it's in the joy of genius in the book, but it's right out of our seminars too. It's, uh, by the way, I tried to write the joy of genius, just like you were sitting across from me in my office. And so it's, it's a kind of a face-to-face, -face, in your ear, uh, close, intimate encounter with your potential. And so the way we do in our live seminars is we ask people to make a commitment. And here's the thing, real change doesn't begin to take place until a person makes a heartfelt commitment. Yeah. I've, I've known lots of people who have had success in 12-step groups, and they uniformly tell me that the magic moment was the moment they stood up there for the first time and said out loud, hi, my name's John, or my name's Mary, and I'm an alcoholic, or my name's Jack and I'm a drug addict, or mm -hmm. my name's Jan and I have a gambling problem. So it's the act of calling something, you know, admitting something to yourself and then making a heartfelt new commitment. Yeah. So underneath every 
positive change you're ever going to make in your life is a heartfelt commitment to change. And so with genius, it's exactly the same thing. Start with a simple commitment, something like I give him in the joy of genius, but let me just tell you one right now. A simple commitment would be, I commit to bringing forth my true creativity or my true genius, no matter what it takes. Or I commit to living on the genius spiral, no matter what it takes. So make a heartfelt commitment to opening up to your genius and then watch the miracles that happen. Even if you only spend that 10 minutes a day focusing on it, that's to us the magic number is you've got to be willing to commit to spending at least 10 minutes a day focusing on your genius. If you can't do that, well, there's something going on that's, um, you know, we say if you're too busy to do that, you're too busy because mm-hmm. everybody can find 10 minutes to focus. Absolutely. And I think it's important. I just want to emphasize here something that you'd said earlier about committing to this and, and, and living in the genius spiral is important. Um, and I loved that you referenced, this is one of my favorite quotes from The Secret Gospel of Thomas. Um, and for those out there listening, this is a, um, a, uh, a book that was not included in the Bible. It was discovered in, um, I, I never say this right, but Naj Hammadi or Nag Hammadi um, in the 1940s. And um, it, it just, uh, do you mind if I read this here, Gay, or do you want to say, I don't know if you have it offhand. Uh, well, I have it engraved on my soul, but I'd like to hear you read it. So, uh. Okay. <laughs> if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Um, do you mind speaking on that a little bit, How perhaps why that's so important to you and how you've seen this play out? Yes. Well, let me give you an, a dramatic example. Um, one time, a long time ago, I was consulted by a, a woman who had um, cancer, and she'd been in, you know, doing various alternative treatments and everything, but things hadn't really worked very well. And so, but what did work was asking herself in a wondering way, not a critical way, but what we call wonder questions. Here at the Hendricks Institute, we call them wonder questions because they're questions that you really want to know the answer to and you really don't know the answer to. And so for about two weeks, she lived in these questions that she wrote down and she would just go out on her back porch and wonder about these things. And the one the one that did the magic eventually had to do with the Gospel of Thomas, which was what is within me? that I need to bring forth that will save me? And what is within me that seems to be destroying me that I need to bring forth? And it took about two straight weeks of just wondering about that and not coming up with any answers. And at one point, though, she was sitting on her back steps of her house, just wondering about all of this. And she was overcome with this tremendous rush of emotion inside that had to do with a sexual molestation a long time ago that she had completely blotted out of her mind. And so for some reason it had been down in there kind of eating at her for so many years and she had never really gotten to it. And so that's the, that's the beauty of wonder. Sonny, it's, it's such a powerful treatment because when you begin to wonder about something, 
it puts you into a new altered state of consciousness that's very different than, say, criticizing yourself for it or trying to fix it or any of the other states of consciousness that are about trying to get rid of something. So in the Gospel of Thomas, why I admire that quote so much is that it speaks directly to both sides of the problem, that if you bring forth the things that you really have to bring forth, those things will give you amazing life energy and amazing life success, in my experience anyway, with the people I've worked with. But it also speaks to the side that is a little bit scary to look at sometimes, that if we don't bring forth these things, these things will kind of eat away of us in various ways. And of course, I'm not saying that they will give you a physical disease every time. I was using a kind of a dramatic example of that. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing was that after she had that breakthrough, the cancer disappeared. And so I've, I've kind of lived in a steady diet of those kind of miracles for many years. So I don't take them as, you know, it, I take them more for granted now. But when I first started to see them and hear about them 30 years or so ago, when I first thought up the ideas in the big leap, the, um, the astonishment that I would experience when someone would come up to me and say, oh, by the way, that problem with my employer cleared up or by, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you this, but, uh, that, uh, my allergies went away hmm. and my wife, my wife, actually, when I first met her had tremendous allergies and had all the time for, from since she was a kid. And so she never went anywhere without Kleenexes stuffed in her pockets. Uh -huh. And, um, but when she started doing this work, we've evolved in the big leap and in conscious loving, Lo and behold, her allergies disappeared. And so she hasn't uh, had a sniffle now in a long time. So I think all sorts of miracles are possible on the physical level, emotional level, and certainly on the, the financial level and success areas of life. If we can begin to clear up these upper limit issues and begin to live more on the genius spiral. Absolutely. And we're right at the time when we can be taking our break for the show. But I did just want to emphasize one of my questions that I'd had for you, Gay, was, you know, you describe a lot the connection between mind and body when it comes to our emotions. And, you know, many of the hands-on exercises ask the reader in the book to focus on breathing and physical sensations in the body. And so would you say that mind-body or that body-mind connection is pretty important when talking about genius? It is incredibly important because um, the thinking part of the mind is really only about the size of a quarter or a 50 cent piece up on the left side of your, you know, what we usually think of as logical, rational thinking is a very small part of us. Whereas you consider like the, the common um, example of what the brain looks like is it's about the size of a grapefruit and a three and a half pound um, grapefruit. And so the thinking part of the mind is about the size of the rind of the grapefruit, whereas the, the physical and the emotional and the body part of the mind is about the size of the juicy part of the grapefruit. Huh. So we've got to get down into the juicy part of ourselves to really understand ourselves completely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I heard a statistic once that we process the verbal part of the mind processes about 40 bits of information per second, whereas the nonverbal, the part that's our senses and all of the emotions and what you're talking about, the physicality, processes about 11 million bits of information per second. 
Um, and I, I'm going to have to check that. I think that was from Dr. Martha Beck. But anyway, that just blew my mind. And I thought, wow, of course we need to be focusing on the juicy part. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's really important because uh, most of us live in our bodies in the sense that um, we depend greatly on the information in our bodies. Thank goodness, too. Our bodies are so wise. You know, like last night, I got six or seven hours of sleep and I never had to wake up in the middle of the night and say to my heart, keep beating, keep beating, keep beating. <laughs> right. I'm here for you. Keep beating. Or I never had to say to my lungs 20,000 times a day, keep breathing, keep breathing. Exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll take our break. Um, so you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I'm joined today by um, author and psychologist and just has, he's been around the world spreading good news around um, transcending our upper limits and living in our genius spiral, uh, Gay Hendricks. And the book that we're discussing today is The Joy of Genius. And we will continue that conversation when we get back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead, tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. It's a great time of year to be outdoors, fishing in a local stream, splashing through a creek. We all assume these waters are safe and clean, but for most streams, no one knows for sure. That's a problem, a problem we can do something about. The Isaac Walton League of America can help us get started, from stream cleanups with friends to simple water quality tests designed for volunteers like you and me. The League has been helping community volunteers find and fix water quality problems for almost 50 years with simple tools that produce results you can use to test streams for pollution, to get your friends and neighbors involved, and to help protect streams where we enjoy the outdoors. To get started, visit IWLA.org today. That's IWLA.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. If you've noticed that torrential rainstorms are getting more common, you're right. Andreas Prine of the National Center for Atmospheric Research says the amount of rain that falls during the most intense storms is increasing all over the country. The change is most extreme in northeastern states. Where we have up to 70% higher intensities of rainfall than we had 50 years ago. One of the reasons is that warmer air can hold more evaporated water. So as temperatures increase, clouds can hold more moisture, which means more water can fall in a single storm. 
And with more intense storms comes an increased risk of flash floods, which can threaten lives and damage property. Prine says the risks are particularly great in urban areas. That's because with more paved surfaces and less vegetation, cities have fewer areas that can absorb stormwater, so flooding is more likely. Therefore, urbanized areas have to update their infrastructure to be more prepared for flash flooding, and we have to try to limit global warming to a certain extent that the consequences don't get unmanageable. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I'm joined today by Gay Hendricks. Um, So many of you um, have probably read The Big Leap. And we are discussing today Gay's latest book, the sequel to The Big Leap, and it is called The Joy of Genius, and you can find that on Amazon right now. I also encourage you to check out um, Gay's website, uh, Hendrix.com. That's Hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S, where you can uh, find out more about the book. You can find out about upcoming events and um, connect with Gay to take this work further. Um, so we're, we've been talking about, you know, identifying your genius and living in the genius spiral um, and the importance of that. So let's talk a little bit about what keeps us from that, Gay. I mean, what is the biggest obstacle standing in our way on our path to genius? Underneath all the upper limit problems are fears that we need to resolve. Like I mentioned, the fear that there's something fundamentally flawed about myself or the fear that... Uh, I'm, I'm a burden, or the fear that uh, I shouldn't outshine other people. The fear of outshining is one I talk about a lot in The Big Leap. Um, but I, I would say that the thing that people notice, need to notice first, is any kind of negative thinking. And one of the big things that um, people work on when they, they're working their way through The Joy of Genius, the new book, is I show them specifically where their negative thinking is and exactly what kind of negative thinking gets in our way. Like, for example, many people, their style of negative thinking is obsessing about the past. They think about things that happened in the past, painful events in the past, or things, bad things that happened to them in the past. And so that whole batch of negative thinking that's about the past can be gracefully retired if you realize one super important fact, which is nobody has any control over the past. It's already happened. It can't be controlled or managed in any way. There's nothing you can do about it. And so the only thing you can do about it is declare it uncontrollable, that you don't have any control over it. Mm. And that's such an important move because the, the moment you look at something and say, well, actually, there's nothing I can do to change that. You know, like if you're walking up a mountain and it's getting to be hard work, you can stand there and say, okay, mountain, get a little less steep. You can say that all day long and it never does. But what you need to do is recover more energy in yourself to keep going up. And so the same thing with the upper limit problem. When you're on the genius spiral, It doesn't require as much work because your genius will then kind of help you go up and up and up, kind of like the wind currents that a bird rides up in a 
a circle. Uh, by the way, uh, this happens to be my wife, Katie, and my 37th wedding anniversary this month. And oh, uh, I'm uh, uh, so we're, we're having a bunch of celebrations about that. And uh, the reason I mentioned that was on our wedding day, we got married on top of a, a mountain in Colorado and just the two of us. We also had two public weddings, one for our Colorado friends and one for our California friends. But our private, just the two of us wedding was up on the top of a mountain. And as we were saying our vows to each other, Katie said, look, and above us circling in this beautiful spiral were two hawks. And it was like they were above us kind of blessing us while we were doing our vows with each other. Wow. And as soon as we finished our vows, they went off somewhere else. But I was always touched by this effortlessness of how they soared higher and higher up the spiral. And that's what gave me the original idea for the genius spiral. Um, so uh, back to the question of what we can do to get into our zone of genius and ride higher in the genius spiral, the biggest thing you can do right away is unplug that negative thinking. And so one of the things I show people how to do in the new book, The Joy of Genius, is that I show what I call the, the genius move in there, which is a way when you catch yourself thinking negatively or you notice that you're engaging in some upper limit, how to unplug the energy from that so that you immediately have a connection to your genius. That's why I say, don't avoid your problems. Look forward to any problems you have because those are the quick ticket to your genius. Yeah, and I just want to follow up on this um, because let's say we have someone who's listening and they say, but I can't, I, I can't stop the negative thinking. This memory just keeps playing over and over and over. I just I can't disconnect from it. Um, what do you tell people who feel like they don't have control over that? Yes. So one thing I invite people to do is uh, here in the office, and you can actually, uh, uh, maybe not if you're driving in your car right now, but you can uh, try, try this at home, which is actually give yourself a physical experience of letting go of something. Hmm. Uh, people say it's hard to let go of thoughts, but that's because thoughts are not material. They're, they, they just exist in space. So what you need to do oftentimes and give yourself a physical experience of that Take a ball like a tennis ball or even wad up a piece of paper and hold it in your hand and then let go and let it drop to the floor and do that over and over again until you get a real good feeling of what letting go feels like in the physical sense. And that will help you let go more in your mind, let go of negative trains of thought. But I promise you, the moment you declare it uncontrollable, it loses its grip on you. And the same thing works in 12-step groups. The moment, like I, I play golf um, sometimes a couple of times a week with a, a friend of mine, Jim, who uh, has uh, had about 17 or 18 years of sobriety after a, a long siege of uh, wrestling with alcoholism. And he will tell you that the magic moment was that moment he stood up and said, hi, I'm Jim and I'm an alcoholic. And he made a heartfelt commitment to not having a drink that day. And so it was commitment that got the process going, but then declaring that he had no control over alcohol, mm -hmm. that it was out of his control. So if he had a little bit, he would always drink a lot. 
Uh, in fact, he had seven years of sobriety, and then he decided he could drink again if he drank in moderation, and there went another 10 years of his life yeah. So um, before he kind of bottomed out and came out of that. So it's an important distinction, learning how to declare something uncontrollable. It's magic. It gives you a freedom over it that you can't get any other way. I love that. Yeah. And one of the quotes that I, that I pulled over on this from the book says um, that, and this is, of course, from The Joy of Genius by Gay Hendricks. Some of the ways I'd been trying to control my negative thoughts by shaming myself for thinking them or trying to engage in positive thinking actually turned out to be the glue that held them in place. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. Well, your, your negative thinking, in order to stay in existence, it loves to have you try to get rid of them. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> that just makes them say, wow, she recognizes me. She wants to have conversations with me. So uh -huh. let's let's go talk to her even more. And so, uh, but the moment you declare it uncontrollable, you unplug the energy from it. Yes. Okay. So then let's say we unplug the energy from the negative thinking and we drop that tennis ball, so to speak. Then how, what happens then, Gay, um, in terms of going into that genius spiral? It creates a tremendous open space. The moment you unplug from your negative thinking, suddenly this vast amount of space opens up of unused mind space. And that is where your genius can come forth. That's where you can really begin to ask yourself, what is my genius and what do I most love to do? You know, in The Big Leap, I uh, talk about the uh, ultimate success mantra. And that's another thing that you can do is you can put in a new idea that that encapsulates the new place you want to get to. Like when I first started working on myself, when I first started discovering the upper limit stuff in myself 35 years or so ago, I, I developed this new mantra, which um, I've changed the wording of it a lot over the years, but in the original version of it, it was like, I expand in abundance, success, and love every day as I inspire others to do the same. And then later on, as I began to realize that creativity was more of the, the thing that I wanted to encourage, I changed the wording of it a little bit so it went more like, I expand every day in love, creativity, and abundance as I inspire others to do the same. And I want people to come up with their own language. Uh, they can certainly use my language, but I'd like them to come up with more of your own feeling for it because saying it in your mind is good, but where you really want to get to is where you feel it in your body. You know, like if you have a beloved in your life, whether it's a human being or a pet or something that you love or someone that you love, you can feel your commitment to that person or those people. You don't have to think it up all the time. You just feel it down in your body. And that's where I want people to get to with their success mantra is to feel the power of that expansion to feel themselves expand in love, to feel themselves expand in creativity, to feel yourself expand in financial abundance, to actually feel that possibility open up down in yourself and let that be your commitment. Because that's, uh, that's ultimately the most powerful way to use it because then it wakes up before you do in the morning. 
Yes, and and one of the things that I loved about uh, and I as I was sharing with uh, Gay over our break, I actually use the ultimate success mantra, and I use one of the versions that's from the Big Leap, the, or the version from the Big Leap. I expand in abundant success and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. I love that and use it in my daily practice because, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gay, but my understanding is, you know, we've got a lot of what is driving that upper limit problem is subconscious programming that we've adopted from a young age. And this ultimate success mantra, whether you use it exactly as as Gay has presented it or kind of tweak it as Gay suggests uh, for yourself, um, but it actually unwinds that subconscious programming if we use it in the right way enough. Yes, it's a good way to seed your consciousness with something brand new uh, so that your mind has some new paths to go down. You know, I was thinking of a friend of mine, um, Sonny, that was really out of shape. He realized uh, when he retired, uh, he realized he was 15, 20 pounds overweight or actually 30 pounds overweight, if I remember correctly. But um, he devised this really cool exercise program for himself. <clears throat> he went to the gym. And he set himself the task of doing one chin up a day for a week. Mm-hmm. And then he got so he could do that. And then the second week, he gave himself the task of doing two chin ups a day. And he would go down and he would, you know, pedal the bicycles and do the treadmill and everything. And then he would go his do his two chin ups. And then the third week, three chin ups. So by the end of the year, a guy who couldn't even hardly do one chin up at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, He's doing now 52 chin-ups wow. every day down at the gym. And so that's the way you can really effortlessly transform your body. You know, it didn't have to hurt because if you went down to the gym the first day and tried to do 52 chin-ups, you'd probably either wouldn't be able to do them or you'd hurt the next day. So that's why we start small with 10-minute uh, genius assignments. So if you read The Joy of Genius, it's okay with me if you just read it for 10 minutes and put it down and think about it and do the exercises. I, I won't uh, think anything ill of you at all if you uh, put that book down 50 times before you finish it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, as you were mentioning, the way that you have come to say the ultimate success mantra, it includes abundance, love, and creativity. And so creativity is a huge part of living in the genius spiral. And you talk about wooing our true creativity. And I thought woo is an interesting word to use with regard to our creativity. So why did you choose to phrase it that way? Well, in wooing a beloved, you want to pay attention to a couple of things. If you want to woo someone and uh, inspire them to love you more or like you better, what you need to do is first prepare a place for that inside yourself. So it would be one thing to prepare something outside yourself, like putting your beloved's favorite piece of chocolate on a uh, saucer and taking it into him or her, or preparing a wonderful meal or setting a table or getting their favorite bottle of wine. So that would be an outer preparation, which is a good thing. But if you really want to woo somebody, you have to do it inside first by actually bringing forth the aspects of yourself that you want most to be with that person. So having a great dinner is one thing, but having a beautiful experience inside while you're having that dinner is the most important thing, because that's where all the 
deep, the juicy stuff, the juicy part of our grapefruit takes place is in our heart and soul and down in the places that are usually below our neck. And so what we need, what we need to do is uh, prepare that place inside ourselves by loving ourselves deeply and treasuring the part of ourselves that we want to bring forth in the presence of our beloved. So love is an inside job. It's not an outside job. Um, uh, sorry to tell your advertisers that it's not about the lipstick or the uh, fizzy drinks or anything like that. It really does start inside with our own feeling of lo lovability. Yes, and, and so I know there are probably people out there saying, but I just don't have, I mean, creativity, that's, yeah, that's nice icing on the cake. But man, I've got I've to pay the rent. I've got to take my kids to school. Like, what do you tell people who say, I just don't have time for creativity? Well, I tell them, first of all, all it takes is 10 minutes a day to start. So for the first week, uh, if you don't even know what your creativity is, just go in a room and just say, hmm, what is my genuine, true creativity? What is it that I would love to most bring forth? What would I bring forth that I could spend all day doing? And, you know, when you're a kid, you're out playing in the side yard. I remember this, I'd be playing some game with a couple of my friends and in the dim distance, I would hear my mother ask or yelling at me to come in for dinner. <laughs> and she would tell me that she'd been yelling at me three or four times and I hadn't paid any attention <laughs> because I was so lost in what I was doing. Well, that's what I want people to experience, even if only 10 minutes a day at the beginning, is what is it that calls you so deeply that you get lost in it, that you would forget to eat because you're doing it? And that's a key to your genius because your genius is always involved with what you most love to do and what you are uniquely suited to do. Yes. And I want to just emphasize, um, this was another quote from the book that I really like. And if you need any more, if you, you need an excuse to really tap in even for 10 minutes to, and woo your creativity. Um, this is another quote, of course, from the joy of genius by Gay Hendricks. I've come to believe that good fortune chases the expression of genius. In other words, the more you engage with your genius, the luckier you get. Um, how have you seen that manifest? Oh, gosh, in so many ways. I um, Let me see if I can just, uh, well, I, I, I've always said that um, I think I might be the luckiest person alive because, mm. first of all, I get to be married to Kathleen Hendricks, also known as Katie, and uh, like I said, for 37 years, I've woke up, awakened every day feeling like the luckiest man alive because I get to be married to her. Beyond that, though, I think that luck chases genius because ever since, just speaking personally, ever since I started asking myself inside, what is my genius? I began to realize first that I was only spending 10% of my time doing the things that I really love to do. So I set the goal of doing it 30% of the time and then 50% of the time. And then it took me about 10 years to get up to where I was doing my genius 70 or 80% of the time. Now for the last 20 years or so, I'd say I spend 90% of my time doing my zone of genius, my genius spiral work. And you know, now and then I'm doing things that I'm not necessarily a genius at, like I said in the book, I'm not necessarily a genius at unloading the dishwasher or tidying up the cat's kitty litter, but I do it because I love uh, to have a tidy home and I love to have 
my cats have a tidy home, so it's not necessarily my genius, but I, I do it because it adds to my ability to enjoy my genius in the rest of my life. But 90% of the time, I'm doing what I'm doing right now, which is talking and thinking and writing about the things that most passionately interest me. And they happen to be things that uh, I hopefully anyway inspire other people. So that gives me the added pleasure of uh, getting up every day and reading a new batch of email that's come in, you know, saying thank you for changing my life and thank you for writing The Joy of Genius and thank you for writing The Big Leap. So I get to live on a kind of a steady diet of... Uh, good news like that. So no matter where you are, I think the main thing is to start it just where you are. You know, you don't need to be doing 90% of your time, but first get those first 10 minutes going. And those 10 minutes then, I say genius is contagious. It will start <laughs> growing. It's uh, It will proliferate on you. Yeah, and that's, that was actually where I was going next is what a, another quote that I loved was, after you live in the genius spiral for a while, the genius spiral lives in you. Mm. Um, <laughs> how does that work? I mean, I, I, I can see that. Like, it just seems like it would just continue to build momentum and grow. Yes. Well, genius loves company. Mm. And so the more you open up to your own genius, the more you start seeing the genius of other people and inviting that forth. And you begin to hang out more with people who are using their genius. And so it tends to proliferate. And it, it's, it works the other way around, too, that if you, let's say you aren't living out your genius, you'll probably spend a lot of time complaining a lot, either in yourself <laughs> or complaining out loud. And complaining also is contagious because pretty soon you get two or three people that agree with you and then you start doing, uh, you know, you have a kind of a complaint club and then <laughs> you hang out with a whole big group of people that sit around and complain with each other. So... Um, you, you got to get to a point where your genius is waking up before you do. And the only way to do that is to keep practicing day after day after day until it gets to be such an ingrained part of you. You know, if you wake up in the morning and you're hungry, you feel that. You don't need to say to your in your mind, oh, I guess I ought to eat now because it's a brand new day. Right. You know, you don't have to think your way into that. So it's the same thing with genius. If you practice it for a while, it has that effect of beginning to get a kind of a grip on you and you begin to think about it, uh, you know, you begin to dream about it. You begin to think about it spontaneously. And as I say, it wakes up before you do finally. Oh, I love that. And that is a perfect place to bring us to a close on our show today. So of course, I've been talking with Gay Hendricks, um, and the sequel to The Big Leap is out. It is called The Joy of Genius, and it is available now. Um, Gay, thank you so much for returning to Sunny in Seattle to have this conversation. I enjoyed it, too, Sunny. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. And don't forget to join me next week. I'm going to be interviewing Sarah Nannan. She is the renegade widow and best-selling author of the book Grief Unveiled. Um, she has a whole new approach to grieving the loss of a loved one. Um, so you have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. And don't forget to buy The Joy of Genius. Um, see you guys next week. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.